I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and I want you today to turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Now, if you're not familiar with where the book of Matthew is located, uh, what I would encourage you to do is if you're in a physical Bible, turn to the table of contents. Uh, There you'll find that the Bible is broken up into two sections, the Old and the New Testament. Matthew, the book we're in today, is the first book of the New Testament. Uh, So find the New Testament, find the book of Matthew, turn to that page, and then flip through till you get to chapter 9. Now, if you're in an app, Matthew is about two-thirds or three-quarters of the way down the list of the books of the Bible. Uh, So just scroll through that until you hit the book of Matthew, click on it, and go to chapter 9. Now, as you're finding Matthew chapter 9, have you ever been in a place or a situation where you felt like you didn't quite fit? Uh, Or maybe you didn't belong or something wasn't right with you in the midst of the people that you're around. Uh, For example, when uh, I lived in Lake Havasu City, Lake Havasu City is a very casual culture. Uh, Very few people wear uh, suits or ties or even button-up shirts unless they're a Hawaiian shirt. Uh, And I remember one time I went to a city banquet uh, because of my work at the church that I was working at in Havasu. uh, I I was invited to this city banquet uh, to take part in a presentation uh, that was taking place. And thinking it's a city banquet, I thought I need to dress very nice. I need to look good and I need to represent my church well. So I donned a full suit. I had this beautiful gray suit. I put on a tie. I looked good and I walked in the door and not a single person was wearing a tie or a suit. Everybody was wearing polos. Uh, There were a few guys that had button-up shirts, but most of them had their sleeves rolled up. I stuck out like a sore thumb. I, I mean, the moment I walked in, I stepped into the door and not two steps in, I thought, oh no, I don't fit in here. This is not what I should have worn. I I considered for a moment going back and at least taking my tie off or my coat off or or something like that. And long story short, it was a great banquet and, and I hopefully represented my church well in the midst of it, but I just felt uncomfortable the entire time I was there because I I didn't match, I didn't fit in with the dress code of the people around me. Have you ever felt like you didn't quite fit in? Or maybe have you looked at someone in a situation and looked and thought they don't fit in? Well, today, in today's passage, we're going to be looking at a situation like that that Jesus encountered in his ministry. So, Matthew chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 9. So, Matthew 9, 9. And it says this, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and he followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and with sinners? 
But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Interesting passage today. So let me give you a little background. Jesus has been traveling a little bit. He's gone across the lake. Lake. He's come back to his, uh, his own area of, of the, the uh, nation. Um, and he comes into a city and sitting at a booth in the city is this man named Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Now, uh, I'm sure if you've been around church uh, for very long, if you grew up in church, you've kind of got a, a familiar idea about tax collectors uh, in Jesus's day and time. But if you're not familiar with what this job entailed, let me, let me give you a glimpse for just a moment. Tax collectors are referred to often uh, in the New Testament as being lowly, as being uh, nasty, as, as not being good uh, people. And here's why. Israel was a nation, but at Jesus' day and time, uh, the Roman government had come in and occupied Israel, and Israel was controlled by the Romans. And the Romans hired people in each town to be their tax collector. And so these tax collectors were taking money from the Israelite people and giving it to the Roman government, which the Israelites despised. They hated the Romans. And so to them, a tax collector was a traitor. He was a person who had turned his back on his nation and his fellow Israelite people, and he was serving an evil foreign government. Not only that, a lot of tax collectors would collect more than what the Roman government had asked them to collect, and they would pocket that extra money and become very wealthy by doing that. And so people despised tax collectors. They, they hated them. And so Matthew, Jesus walks in this city. He sees Matthew sitting at his tax collecting booth, and he looks at Matthew and says, simply, follow me. Now, Matthew, in that moment, is sitting at his work desk, and he abandons all of that and says, okay, I will. I will follow you. And so he turns his back on his entire career, his lifestyle, his income, everything, and he follows Jesus. And then fast forward, we find in the next paragraph that now Jesus is sitting at a table. And what has happened is Matthew has put on a feast for Jesus. And he's invited all of these other tax collectors and people that were considered sinners, the, the, the rejects of society. And Jesus is sitting with these tax collectors and these sinners that Matthew has invited to his house. And he's talking with them and he's teaching them. But also there are the Pharisees. Now, if you're not familiar with who the Pharisees are, the Pharisees was, were this group of people that were like the religious leaders. They were the holiest of the holy. They were the righteous ones. They were the ones that did everything right and everybody wanted to be like the Pharisees. And the Pharisees make this comment to Jesus's followers and says, why is Jesus sitting at the table with all of these sinners and 
all these tax collectors. And Jesus hears them. Now, pick up your Bibles again and look with me at Matthew 9. I want to look at the last uh, couple of verses, verses 12 and 13. So look with me there, chapter 9, verse 12. And it says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of, of, a, of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus makes a very strong statement here in the midst of the, the grumbling that's going on with the Pharisees. But I want to focus on a couple of things first. First, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus is basically telling them, I didn't come for you guys. I came for those who need a savior. Those who don't know God, who are disconnected from him. Those are who I came to call. And then he makes this statement, verse 13, go and learn what this means. This is a very strong statement that Jesus is making. He's not saying go and learn. He is basically saying go and learn this statement. He's making a very strong, very commanding statement here. So I think that we should pay attention to the words he says here. He says, go and learn what this means. And here's the quote, I desire mercy not sacrifice. Now, where does that quote come from? Where does the quote, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, where does that statement come from? Well, it comes from the Old Testament part of the Bible. The Old Testament is the portion of the Bible that was written before Jesus. And so Jesus is quoting from this Old Testament book. It's specifically in the Old Testament, the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. Now, you can turn there. I'm going to give you some background on Hosea because I think this is important. Hosea was a prophet back in the day. And God literally used Hosea's life as an illustration of his redemption for those who had turned away from him. And so here's what God does. God goes to Hosea and says, Hosea, I want you to go out and listen to this. This is word for word from Hosea chapter one. He says, I want you to go and take a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. Now, the, the Hebrew word there, whoredom, um, the Hebrew, the Old Testament that this book comes from, the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language. The Hebrew word there um, literally means anybody who is unfaithful to their spouse. And so Hosea is commanded to go and marry a woman who will literally guaranteed cheat on him and have children with her. Someone who God guarantees will not be faithful. And so Hosea obeys. He goes and marries a woman who is not unfaithful to him, just as we are unfaithful to our Savior. They have three children in the first 
couple of chapters. And because Hosea's wife is unfaithful to him, she is sent into slavery. It was one of the ways uh, that the Israelite nation would punish unrighteousness back in that day and time. So she gets put into slavery. And then God comes to Hosea and says, I want you to go and bring back your unfaithful wife. But that meant that Hosea, he couldn't, she's a slave now. So Hosea couldn't just go down to the slave place, the slave yards or whatever it was and go say, hey, I want my wife back, give her. No, she's property at this point. And Hosea is told to go and bring her back to himself, which means he has to go and pay to have her released from her slavery, to be, have her released back to him, not as a slave, but as a wife. And so he goes and he pays a hefty price to have her brought back to him. Hosea redeems her just as God redeems us in our unfaithfulness. When we're unworthy, when we have broken every command that he's given us, when we have drawn away from him, when we've turned our back on God, he is always there ready to redeem us, to rescue us from our dumbness, from from the ways in which we, in our ignorance and in our sin and in our selfishness, turn away from him. He's always there to redeem and rescue. And so, Hosea goes and redeems, he rescues his wife. And then throughout the book, God explains how his followers have been unfaithful and how he will redeem them from their unfaithfulness. Despite them being unfaithful, despite them turning away and not being faithful to God, he will still take them back. We're the exact same way. We are always in need of God bringing us back to him. If we're saved, we're still imperfect people. We still commit sin. We still do things that separate us from God. And God is always there redeeming us and bringing us back to him. Which brings us to chapter 6 in Hosea. In chapter 6, verse 6 God tells Hosea this. He says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God is telling us, uh, you know, the Israelite people in this book of Hosea, back in the Old Testament, they gave um, sacrifices. They did burnt offerings and all these different things. And God is saying those things are not as important as mercy and compassion and love and intimate knowledge of God. That's what God truly wants. We can do all of the religious things that we want. We can attend church when when we reopen. We can watch sermons online. We can study this book backwards and forwards and inside and out. But if we don't have mercy, if we don't have love, if we don't have an intimate relationship with our Savior, all of that religious stuff that we do 
is filthy rags. It's trash to God. God's ultimate desire is not for us to be religious. God wants us to love, to show mercy, to know him, to have compassion, to seek justice for those who are not able to get justice themselves. That's what God wants. And so God explains all of this. And it's interesting, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9 that we just read, he quotes this passage, Hosea 6, 6. But it's, what's interesting is this is not the only time that Jesus quotes this passage. Jesus quotes Hosea 6, 6 a second time in Matthew chapter 12, verse 7. And here's what it says in Matthew 12, verse 7. He says, he tells the Pharisees, but if you had known what this means, I desire <clears throat> compassion and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. You see, Jesus realized that the religious leaders had a tendency to value their religious practices over people. They were too busy as religious people, as what they considered godly people. They were too busy worrying about their religiosity. They were so busy with that that they forgot to love people, to have compassion for people. They were too busy labeling others to see what God was doing in others. And Jesus warns us twice in the book of Matthew by quoting Hosea 6.6 6, that people are more important than religious practices. Now, this is the point where I want to give you my big idea. And if you've never watched uh, any of my sermons, usually I give a big idea. That big idea is a, a simple statement, a memorable statement that kind of encompasses or, or summarizes the main point of that message. And here's today's big idea. It's simply this. Are you us versus them? Or are you us with them? Let me say that again. Are you us versus them or are you us with them? You see, we have a tendency as followers of Christ to get caught up in our religious practices. And when we do that, we forget compassion and mercy and love. And so, you see, in this instant, in, in Jesus's life, in Matthew chapter 9, we see a perfect example of the attitude that Jesus wants us to have when we approach and we interact and we engage the world around us, the people around us. Remember, think back, Matthew prepared this big feast and he invited or he, there were tax collectors and there were sinners there. Now, why were tax collectors and sinners there? Because Matthew invited them. Those were the people that Matthew made a point to say, come experience Jesus. Come hear what he has to say. Come see the life change that he can bring in your life. So who was Jesus hanging out with? Jesus 
was hanging out with those that the culture of that day had labeled as them. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, had labeled the tax collectors and sinners as those people, as them. You see, the Pharisees did not interact with them. They did not approach or talk with or minister to tax collectors and sinners. They stayed away from them. They showed them no mercy. They showed them no love or compassion. They did not show them the light of of God or of Jesus. They avoided them. You see, we live in an us versus them world today. And there are more, many reasons why we do. Part of it is our sinful nature is, drives us to label people. You know, we throw labels around like candy. Well, that person's left or that person's right. Left wing and right wing, you, you're liberal or conservative. We use race and sexuality and socioeconomic status, how much income you have or don't have. We use those as labels to divide and, and create division. We look at what a person drives or what they wear or what kind of condition their house is and we label people as a result of that. The worst thing, the the absolute worst thing that we as followers do in relation to this is we point out people's sins and the things, the temptations that they struggle with, and we use those sins and those temptations to keep them away from us. We use the labels, the, the, the sin labels or the temptation labels that we put on people so that we can keep them at arm's length. But that's not what Jesus calls us to do. You know, that's not the attitude that Jesus had with people who were different than he was. He calls us, just as he did, he calls us to love others so that we can lead them to the life-changing hope that can only be found in Jesus. Jesus did not come to call the righteous. That's what he says in verse 13. I did not come to call the righteous, but to call the sinner. To call the one who did not know him, who does not know him. Let me ask you a question for just a moment. Maybe you're watching right now and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe what I'm talking about here today is, is kind of odd. Maybe it doesn't make sense, but maybe deep down inside, there's something drawing you into this. Let, let me speak to you for just a moment. Jesus loves you. He has been in your shoes. He knows where you're at, and he loves you. There is no sin. There is no mistake. Uh, There is no level of bad that you can do that would make Jesus never accept you. You see, Jesus doesn't care what you've done. He cares about what you want to do now in in a relationship with him. Jesus wants you to turn your back 
on all the, the mistakes, the sins, the bad that you've done. Forget it and look to him to rescue you from all of that, from all of the past. He wants to rescue you from that. You see, we all, even the, the best Christian that goes to church, we are all sinners in need of a savior. We all make mistakes, whether you know it or not, whether you see it or not, we're all sinners in need of a savior. And the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus loves you even though you are a sinner. I'm a sinner. Jesus loves me despite my sinfulness. We're all sinners in need of a savior and Jesus wants to come in and rescue you from the consequences, the spiritual consequences of your sins. You see, as sinners, we have all broken God's commands, his laws. We're criminals. We've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. We've all done bad things. And Jesus came and lived a perfect life because he is the son of God. He lived a perfect life. And at the end of his life, he was accused falsely. And as an innocent, perfect man, he hung on a cross. And the blood that he shed in that act, that blood became a perfect sacrifice for our sins. You see, we deserve punishment. That's what hell is. It is punishment for the sins that we've committed. But when you accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, His blood forgives you of all your sins. You can be rescued and you can spend your eternity in heaven in perfection with Jesus. You see, He died on that cross and shed His blood for you and I. But then, on the third day, He rose from the grave in victory over our sin and our death. And he ascended later into heaven and he right now is reigning on a throne in heaven. And the Bible tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But Jesus wants to save you. He wants to rescue you. And all you have to do is believe who he is, what he did, what he teaches, Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. Live for Him. And here's what I want you to do. If, you wanna, if you've got questions or you want to make a decision, I want you to right now, don't worry about the rest of this message. I want you to send me, me personally, I want you to send me a direct message or an email. My email is at the bottom of the screen right now. Send me an email or a direct message and I will talk to you right now at this moment. I wanna talk to you and answer any questions. I wanna lead you uh, into the next steps in your journey with Jesus. And so stop what you're doing. Send me an email or a direct message. I would love to talk to you right now. Now coming back, Jesus has made it clear that he did not come to call the righteous, but those who are far from him to call sinners. And he makes it clear that he came to come and change sinners' hearts. Now, the cool thing is, is this, we are all sinners. You see, he didn't come 
and change your heart one time when you accepted him as your Lord and Savior. He's always changing your heart. He's always changing my heart. He came to change sinners' hearts, not to pat religious people on their backs because they check all the religious boxes and do all the religious things. That's not what he came and did. If you go and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, they're called the Gospels. If you go and read those books, the only people Jesus condemns are the religious people. Us, followers of Jesus, wake up. We need to realize that we may be the ones who are being the Pharisees. And we, meet, we need to be very careful in how we analyze and look at ourselves. We can't look at ourselves with pride and say, look at me and how good I am. We need to always be looking at ourselves and going, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of your heart change. We need him changing us all of the time. And specifically this week, it has to do with how we look at, how we label the people around us. Last week, I, I taught on Jesus calming the storm and how uh, Jesus has the ability to calm your storms, but that's not what the Bible tells us his purpose is. The purpose of Jesus is not to always calm your storms and make your life easy. Jesus's purpose is to be with you in the storm, to go with you through the storm and grow you and make you better as a follower of Jesus. And in last week's message, I asked this question, what is your role in the storm? Whether it be the storm you're going through right now or whether it's someone else's storm, what's your role in the storms that are going on? You see, we are the church and God is doing something. COVID is not an excuse to stop sharing the gospel, to, to stop sharing the life-changing hope of Jesus. COVID can't stop the gospel. COVID can't stop the work of God. And if we're going to be lazy or make excuses because COVID makes things difficult, then, then why are we claiming to be followers of Jesus? Jesus is calling us right now to stop the labeling to look at people with compassion and love, to stop saying, oh, well, that person's a liberal or a left, or that person's a conservative or a right, or that person has this sin or that sin. But instead to look at people the way Jesus sees people, to see them as sinners in need of a savior. You see, things like COVID have never stopped the gospel and it's COVID is not going to stop it now. The question is this, will you make an intentional decision to be someone who spreads the gospel of Jesus despite the difficulties? Will you be like Matthew who invites someone to experience Jesus? Or will you be like the Pharisees who label people and push people away from the life-changing hope that Jesus has for them. You have to make an intentional decision today and tomorrow 
and the next day and the day after that and the week after that and the month after that. We continuously have to make intentional decisions to not label people, but instead to invite people in to experience the life-changing hope of Jesus. My encouragement today is to really stop and ask yourself, am I more like Matthew or am I like the Pharisees? Am I more concerned with my opinions and defending my point of view rather than loving people and inviting people in to hear and to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Be like Matthew. Invite people in. Be the gospel witness. Don't divide. Be a bridge between the division and the labeling and the hatred of our society. Be a bridge to the hope, the life-changing hope that Jesus offers. What will you do this week to bring someone to the knowledge of Jesus, to show them the hope and the love that Jesus has for them in their lives? Ask yourself that question as we pray. Almighty God, we thank you for who you are. And Lord, my prayer today is that as the church, that you would use us to lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. Lord, help us to do away with labeling of people or groups of people, but instead to see people the way Jesus sees them, through love and compassion and mercy and grace. Lord, help us to be a people that loves. Help us to be like Matthew instead of the Pharisees. Help us to invite people in to experience the life-changing hope that only Jesus can offer. Help us to stop labeling and creating division and instead to be peacemakers and to bring unity and to bring people to Jesus. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for how much you love us and how much you have forgiven us and we pray that we would cl follow you more closely. We thank you again and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.